0: Isn't it going to be nice to go to heaven and nobody will complain about what song they're singing? I'm just going to be happy to be there. Amen. Amen. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Turn with me, please, to the book of Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to finish up what I started uh, Wednesday night. Malachi chapter 3. Begin reading with verse number 8. Scripture says, will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offering? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour out pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated. Just by way of reminder to those that maybe weren't here, On Wednesday night, I began to talk about tithing and offering. The tithe is not just 10%, but it's the first 10%. You remember the scripture, book of Deuteronomy, we talked about when there is a a donkey that's born. It's an unclean animal. The only way that that. Unclean can be kept, is it has to be redeemed by a clean lamb. So the tithe is what, excuse me, is what redeems the rest. Scripture says if you don't redeem that donkey, then you need to break the neck of that donkey. So if you don't give the tithe, you're going to lose it anyway. I know people that constantly were struggling. I mean, one thing after another was happening that was costing money, but it could be all traced back to the fact that they were not giving to the Lord like they were biblically asked to do. That, that, that neck of that donkey is going to be broken and you're going to lose it anyway. So we as a people were unclean. And the only way that we could be redeemed is that a spotless lamb had to be given first. Jesus Christ was God's tithe to redeem the rest of humanity. Everything that, that happened throughout the life of Jesus and his coming had a biblical meaning. It wasn't just an accident, and it was the tithe. Tithing belongs to the Lord already. I mean, this is a pretty good deal. God says, okay, I really own all of the 100% you have. If you just return 10%, I'll let you keep 90. That's not too much to ask. It's all his anyway. And the tithe, (coughs) excuse me, if you remember, the tithe, you're not a giver if you just tithe. You're a returner. If you remember me using the analogy, Brother Lloyd gave me $1,000, and in six months I went back and I gave him the $1,000. He's not going to shower down blessings upon me because I didn't give him $1,000. I returned $1,000 to Brother Lloyd. But if I went just out of the kindness of my heart and gave him $1,000, it would move him, and he would want to do something for me. He would want to bless me because I gave out of, out of a willing heart. When they, when they would bring those sacrifices in the Old Testament, there was one requirement. You do it out of a willing heart. Tithes, and offering cannot be viewed as debt because debt carries a negative connotation in our minds. We view it as a burden, something we owe. And you cannot put giving to the Lord in that category. You give to the Lord out of a willing heart. For the Lord loves a cheerful giver, people that want to give. And if you want your children to learn how to be cheerful givers, you have to model that in front of them. They don't have to know all your business and all of the the ins and outs and the financial details, but they need to to see that you're a willing, cheerful giver. I talked about the heart. Everything in living for God, everything boils down to the heart. Bottom line. If we could could look at standards of, of holiness, outward standards, And outward standards are merely a reflection of inward standards. Holiness starts on the inside. Everything, prayer starts on the inside. Faith starts on the inside. Everything is tied to our heart. And so it is in our giving. It's tied under the heart. I talked about, is it possible to give 10% and not be given the tithe, and it is, because the tithe is the first 10%. Now, I realize that not everybody pays cash. Not everyone pays checks. Not everyone gives online. There's just a host of different ways that people give. I personally, because I'm a licensed minister, pay my tithes to the Louisiana district. So when I'm in the bank line, and I get my deposit slip, I call the district. The lady could probably near about quote my card number. And I pay my tithes to the district. First thing, I want to give God first. And then, of course, my offerings and so forth, I give to the church. But let's just say you get paid on a Monday, and you don't. I get paid on a Monday, some of you may get paid on Friday, but it's 3 or 4 days before you get to the church. Well, it's about setting God's aside first. Does not mean you got to make a trip up to the church and put it in an offering plate? It means you designate. If it's cash, if I have cash, I'll fold it in my wallet and it's folded set aside. That's God's. If it's right now a check first, that's God. Then you may not come, you may not make a church for three or four days, but you gave God His first. And and let me just as a side note, just for those that do give checks, you can write one amount on one check and then designate it in the boxes on the envelope. That's just a preference. I wanted you to know that that was you could do it that way. But if you pay online, you, could, you have the access of logging on right then, and you could pay yours online. But the principle is we give God his first. Tithing is the first 10%. You have to battle. First, you've got to battle a selfish heart because our carnal nature is we're selfish people. We're selfish. And then you have to battle a grieving heart. You know, isn't it funny after you give, you start thinking about everything that you could have done with that money? Now, you didn't think about all that stuff before you gave it because you you'd not you would already done it. You would have painted the house, changed the carpet, changed the floors, but you've been well, looking at the same colors and the same floor for 10 years. But after you give, you start thinking you have a grieving heart that you have to battle. And then you have to develop... A generous heart. I, I remember years ago, my wife and I, we, we just didn't make a lot of money. We were youth pastors, and, and they provided housing, but we did not make a lot of money. I mean, we were probably poverty level close to it, but God took care of us. And I remember going to Because of the Times, and they were taking up, they had missionaries that were needing partners in missions, PIMs, monthly support. And I remember my first PIM was $35. And for me, that might as well have been $350 on my budget. And I said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I want to do it. And so we took on a monthly partner. He has now passed away. I believe he's passed away. He's no longer a missionary. But the next year we went to Because of Times. I said, Lord, I want to take on another missionary. And I set a goal. I said, Lord, I want to give $500 a month to missions one day. And when I made that, it scared the daylights out of me because that number was so massive in my mind that I didn't know how it was even possible to give that much money to missions unless something crazy happened. And as we continued and we started evangelizing every year, I'd say, all right, I'm going to take one more missionary, one more missionary. And it got up to where we were at $450, and I'm not boasting. I'm using this for an example. And and I said, God, the bottom let out around 2018, and I, I hit one month, and I said, Lord, I don't know how in the world I'm going to pay these missionaries. I mean, I I, I just don't have no money. And I made this commitment. And the Bible says it's better to not vow than to make a vow and not pay it. And I, it was a Wednesday, and I remember I could take you to the spot. I was just crying before the Lord. I said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I didn't have nowhere to preach that night, so I knew there wasn't a paycheck coming. We went to church at my home church. And I am telling you, I didn't get a thing out of it. I was just sold up because I couldn't figure out how I was going to work this out. And after church, a guy come by, shook my hand, and I felt something in his hand, and I I said, Thank you, Jesus. I didn't think nothing of it, I just put it in my pocket. And I got in the vehicle that night, turned the little light on, and I pulled it out, and it was five hundred dollars. It was enough to pay my tithes and pay that missionary for that month. And Ever since then, I realized that God knows exactly what we have pledged. He knows exactly what we desire to give, and he will make a way for you to honor and to keep your word. And so you have to develop a generous heart. It started me with a $35 missions pledge. And over time, I kept challenging myself because you know what? I think God likes to be challenged. I think God's just sitting here going, Can you prove me? Can you just can you just trust me? That's the only time in scripture it says prove me is regards to money. You have to develop a generous heart. Let's talk about stewardship, which goes right in line with generosity. People who have the gift of giving have discernment that allows them to determine genuine needs. You know, if you're sensitive. You'll pick up on where a need is. Not a want, a need. And you people who have the gift of giving. There is a gift called the gift of giving. Not just giving, the gift of giving. People who God has gifted them with resources and sensitivity to where that is their gift. I know a guy that he made up his mind he was gonna he's a he's a pastor, he was gonna give away something every day of his life. It might be a stick of bubble gum. It might be buy somebody a hamburger. But he challenged himself. And there were times when he got home at night and he realized he hadn't given anything away. He'd get in his car and he'd go find somebody and give something away to him. And he sowed that seed all these years. And now, if you could see the things that are coming back to him, things that people bless him with and vacations, and but it's because he was sensitive and still is, a gift he has the gift of giving. So a person who has the gift of giving, listen to me, desires to be appreciated, not recognized. It's not about being recognized. It's not about anybody letting anybody getting accolades. God has caused that person and wants to use people as a river, not a reservoir. Just let it flow. You just let it flow. Jesus will reward stewardship, and poor stewards lose resources. Good stewards get and receive more. So often we feel like God is punishing us when we're experiencing financial lack. But listen, in reality, we're actually punishing ourselves. Because we didn't take time to pray about making purchases or even using common sense. Anybody know what an impulse buy is? Anybody? I'm going to start with me. Anybody ever made an impulse buy? Right here. My motto was do it, think later. I bought a three-wheeler when I was living in a duplex in a city. What do I need a three-wheeler for? I parked it on the back porch. Never rode it, but I was driving down the road. I can take you to the spot. I was driving down the road. A three-wheeler. I need that. Paid $1,000. Didn't need a three-wheeler for nothing. And you've done the same thing. You know, here's how God works. God didn't put people into debt up to their eyeballs, but he has enough mercy he'll help people get out of debt. We can't blame God when, we're, when money's tight. If we didn't diligently seek God, if we got ourselves into that mess, but God loves us enough, kind of like your children. Your children will do things and they'll get themselves in a bind. But because you love them, you'll help them get out of that bind because you want them to learn, for it, learn from it. We are tested in our need, and we are tested in our greed. The need test comes as we trust God to be our sufficiency. But the greed test comes when we move beyond sufficiency into abundance. The true test of character is not when somebody doesn't have. It's when somebody does have. You hear from people, oh, if I won the lottery, I'd build a new church for them, for my church. I'd just give. You know how many people said, made deals with God? If they won this or if they got this or if they got this inheritance, I just—I think I'd just give it all away because they didn't have anything. But you know what? When they get it, no new church. Greed. Want to hold on to it. Hey, I know a guy who put lottery tickets in his Bible, brought them to church. That way maybe they'd get blessed. Never won. And here's, here's one for you. People go, well, if it's, is it gambling if I don't buy it? What if it's given to me? Or what if I find it in the parking lot? Everybody has good intentions when they don't have anything. The true test is when God does put it in your hands. If you read the story of Hannah, she made a deal with, she said, Lord, if, if you'll give me a child, I'll give them to you. But if you read when she got Samuel, it says that she lent him to the Lord. It's one thing when it's in your plans. It's another thing when it's in your palm. That's the test. You're tested in your need, and then you're tested in your greed. Where using money is concerned, there is a higher level, though, beyond greed. The highest use of money is seed. 2 Corinthians 9 and 10 says, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which calls it through us thanksgiving unto God. Notice that it does not say God supplies seed to the keeper. He supplies seed to the sower. Those that will scatter. Now, I've heard people say, well, that guy's a giver. He can afford to do that. He's got lots of money. Well, they have it backwards. That guy has money because he's a giver. And the more seed that he sows, God says, I'm going to just keep giving seed to the sower. I'm going to just keep giving blessings to that person that is a that is blessing. There are three Fundamental principles relating to seed that you've got to know. First, you reap what you sow. That principle goes beyond money. I know people that all they sow is negativity. You know what they're going to reap? Negativity. Because that's all they're sowing. If you want people to encourage you, What do you have to sow? Encouragement. People say, well, I'm not saying anybody said this here, but this happens. Well, nobody's called and checked on me. When's the last time you called and checked on somebody? Because you cannot reap what you don't sow. That's a principle. But when it comes to finances, if you want to reap financial blessings you've got to be a financial blessing to people you have got to sow seed I could take you to a lady right now who she she lived a tough life in fact let me tell you what kind of lady this was I walked into the church me and my youth pastor used to used to meet in the mornings around 6 30. And we'd pray for a little while. Some days we just talked, but we, we called it prayer. We were meeting up there for prayer. And I walked in there one day, and I heard, help me. And it was right, you know how it is dark in church, prayer room, you're like. I mean, I was one of those people that for the longest time growing up, if I had to walk through the sanctuary and it was dark, I walked fast. And no spirit catching me. And I walked in the hallway. Some of you laugh because y'all know we got on cameras. I'm watching some of you, but no, I'm just picking. I'm not. And I walked in the hallway, and we had a, a baby nursery in the hallway. It had a window that you could see in the baby nursery. And I, I, I looked, and she was bent over doing something. And I thought, oh, okay, well, she's, she's doing something. And it was not uncommon for people to go up to the church to pray. So I walk back into the prayer room and I'm walking around and I walk happy to walk by over there and I hear, "Help me!" I'm like, what in the world?" So I walk back in there and she sees me in the glass And she's, "Brother Tyler, she's that real real high brother Tyler. Help me, I've been locked in here since yesterday. It was like, huh? And I looked, and the doorknob was laying on the ground, on the outside. It was one of those nursery doors where it was split, where you could keep the bottom shut, open the top. And unbeknownst to her and me, I didn't realize it, the door was broken. And when you shut it, you couldn't twist, you couldn't open, you couldn't do anything. And she had went in there to pray the day before, the afternoon before, and it was on a Thursday that she went in there, and there's no secretary. Nobody shows up at the church on Friday, so if we wouldn't have been there that morning, she would have been there until church on Sunday. She didn't have her phone with her, and she had taken a pen, and I'm going to give her credit she had whittled that wood, big old solid wooden door. She had whittled a chunk out of it all night trying to get to where she could to get it. And she took a bulletin board and carved, help me, I've been locked in here all night and stuck it in the window. And all night she flicked the light on back and forth hoping somebody would see. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is just me, okay. I'd have threw that rocking chair through that window and told the church, I'll buy you another window. But this is what she said. I've been needing to draw closer to the Lord. I just didn't know this was how it was going to happen. (laughs) It's the kind of lady she was. I mean, I'd have went full MacGyver on that thing and got out of there. For those of you who don't know, I had a TV growing up, okay? Ask somebody what MacGyver was. But that lady... God has brought her to a season of blessing that she's in now. I can remember when we didn't have enough money for formula or diapers. Nothing. And I knew where this lady had come from. she lived with nothing. And I lived behind the church, and I'd I'd be walking. I'd be so down, not knowing where the money was going to come from. And she'd pull up next to me, Brother Tyler, the Lord told me to give you this and it'd be just enough money for some diapers and for some formula many many times she had learned that it wasn't about how much you could accumulate down here it was about letting god use you to minister to people's needs and god has brought her to a season that now she has sown all these years and she married a man and now she's living a blessed wonderful life so you got to you reap what you sow but you reap after you sow. You don't get the blessing until you sow the seed. You can't reap a harvest until the seed is put in the ground. And you can write down, I'm going to give $200,000 on a piece of paper or on a pledge card. That's not what activates the blessings of God. God does not bless intent. He blesses action. And, I mean, there's been many, many times, and I've told you this before, I have started 40-day fast in the middle of a Sunday night service until somebody asked me to go eat after service, and that was it. I had the best of intentions. I just lacked the action to carry it forth. And then you reap more than you sow. I've never met anybody that, regretted giving to God liberally. Because you know why? They always received more than they gave. Always. God will never owe a man anything. Now, you don't get to choose when it comes back. You don't get to choose how it comes back. Who gives it to you, how it comes. You don't get to choose all that stuff. Because you know what? The beauty of the testimony is it's always more incredible when God does it. Because it will never be how you would have scripted it. It's going to be how God wants it to work. I remember I told you the story of when I gave the first time I did a sacrificial offering and gave my tire money. So the next time the Lord moved upon me, He said, I want you to give me double what you gave the first time. Once again, I went and took a nap. Make sure this is the Lord or if this is me. And got up. All right, here it is. Keep giving it. God's telling me you need to give it. So we gave it. By the time I got to my vehicle after service, People had already walked up and given me almost to the penny what I put in the offering. Didn't know a thing. And within six weeks, six times the amount that I gave, God had given it back to me. And it happened in ways that I never would have thought. And so every time God moved on me, I would just up it. And every time God gave it back, it was more than I could have ever given. But you you have to challenge yourself. What happens is we feel and think of a number, and then we go, no, there's no way that's going to happen. So we start whittling it down to what we can comprehend God doing. And we remove the equation of faith out of the picture. And we replace faith with logic. We 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 go okay, God. Let's just say God says okay. I want you to give ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars, God. You know there's no way that's. I don't even have ten thousand dollars to my name. We forget the fact that God can provide. We forget the fact that God can move upon anybody to bring it, and you're a steward. You're a reservoir or a river. You 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 just channel it. We we take faith out of the equation, and we go look at what I have. Okay, God, I can afford this. And we look at what we can budget instead of what we can believe. Well, oh, that's good teaching, huh? But you know what? This is all I had to, I'm still preaching to myself. In fact, the night of the missions conference, I'd already made up my mind and told my wife, this is what I feel that we're going to give. I said, okay. So I during the service, during Brother Dean's preaching, the Holy Ghost started moving on me. And I said, hmm, I don't like that number in my mind. I don't like that. But I went ahead and wrote it down by faith that my wife was going to be on the same page. So when I told her, I said, hey, I changed the number and she told me what number I wrote down. I said, how'd you know? She goes, Lord told me yesterday. I said, Well, at least we're in agreement here on the same page. We'll both be scared out of our mind, okay? But you you will reap more than you sow. Now, this is what I've also learned, that you can never judge a book by its cover. I went to churches, and I thought, there's no way to get a big offering here. Not for me, but I'm talking about for the church, when God moved upon me. Blow my... I was on, I was in a church in New Waverly, Texas on the platform, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Tell Brother So-and-So that there's a $100,000 offering sitting on his pews. It was a different, different church. And I said, Lord, I don't want to tell that man that. So I waited a few days, and the Lord just, you need to tell him. You need to tell him. $100,000 offering sitting on his pews. So I texted him. I still got the message to him. I just did it my way. And he texts back and said, well, we sure could use it. And I said, well, I don't know when it's going to happen, but that's what the Lord said. Well, I went about a year and a half later to preach for him. And the Lord, when I started revival, the Lord said, when I tell you, you preach on the spirit of sacrifice and you take up a sacrificial offering, but only do it when I tell you. I said, all right, Lord. So we started revival. And on a Wednesday night, I remember it as clear as day, when I opened my eyes that morning, the Lord said, tonight you preach on the spirit of sacrifice. And the first thing I said was, Lord, it's a Wednesday. I mean, if you're going to throw a net, you want to make sure there's a lot of fish in the pond. And this was a metro area, and Wednesdays were not known for being large crowds. All day long, I'm praying. Lord tells me what to preach. And I said, "Okay." I drive to Houston that afternoon. I walk in the pastor's office, and I, I wanted him to know what was going on. I said, no, "Brother, uh, the Lord told me to preach on the spirit of sacrifice tonight and take up a sacrificial offering." And his eyes just got real big, and he said, "Well, uh, it is a Wednesday." I was like, "I know. I already told God that. Just in case God forgot it was a Wednesday." And he said, "But, but you do what you feel, brother." I was like. All right. That church normally ran 200 to 250. I walked out there. You could have threw a bomb and not hit a person. It was empty and I'm going. We're not going to get $100. God, and I, I start panicking. I'm starting to panic. And I always sat on that side, and I'd walk up and down the, the aisle during service, and I'm going, oh, Jesus, I need a word, God. I need a word to preach tonight. And I'm just, I mean, here. and he's introducing me to come to the pulpit. And I'm, and, and I'm walking up, and the Lord says, I already gave you a word. Preach it. All right. So I went up there, and I started preaching on a spirit of sacrifice. And I mean, I got with it like it was a full house. And then out of my mouth it comes. It wouldn't surprise me if we took up a hundred thousand dollar offering tonight. And I just went. Oh, oh, you're committed now. I mean, it shocked me. And I told him the story of what the Lord said. So I'm going to put it off on God, not me. This is what the Lord said. And so when its service was over, I wanted to go find me a hole and hide. And the pastor wanted to take me to eat, and I never passed up a meal to go eat when it was free. The only bad thing is he took me to Jason's Deli. And if you've never been one, thank God you've never been to one because that's a waste of a meal. And he get, we get in the truck, and he goes, you know, I forgot about that $100,000 offering you said about, you, you told me about it. And uh, he said, You know, it already happened. And I'm thinking, Already happened? Ain't no way they counted the money that fast. We just walked out of here. I said, What do you mean? He said, Just a few weeks ago, a man in the church walked up to me. He said, Pastor, I want you to use this however the church needs it. And it was a check for $100,000. And I thought, Well, thank God I'm not a false prophet. But you know what? From that service, when nobody was there, $162,000 that they took up because people understood what generosity was. So a total of $262,000. You can't judge a book by its cover. And if that church with those few people can do that, when a spirit of sacrifice moves upon a people, God just showed me what was possible when people can respond and catch the vision of giving. Amen. Stand with me right now.